Welcome to Navigating Neurodivergence with me, Stefan Glazer. If you don't know what this podcast and my whole mantra of navigating neurodivergence is about, really, at the base of it, it's about knowing that you are not alone in your struggles with neurodivergence. Whether it's ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, the full gamut of neurodiverse dilemmas. You are not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in your conquests and triumphs. That's what navigating neurodivergence is all about. This is a place where people get to express what they went through, how they made it through, and where they're going as they strive with their neurodivergence. So, please, enjoy your time here and listen to others that navigated their neurodivergence. When Sean Pearson wanted to come on to the podcast, I read his story and was kind of blown away. He suffered a traumatic brain injury that changed his life completely. He went from being OCD, completely logical and and really just on that corporate ladder executive level thinking Uh, and then after he had collapsed before a big presentation and he was found in a pool of blood with his head cracked open uh, he lost like memory speech mobility and had to go through a whole bunch of recovery and what happened is he ended up being more emotional and sensitive and it changed everything so he had to learn a new way of life and a new direction of life. And we really walked down a path of what it was like before and after. And not every change was positive, but I hope you enjoy this episode. It was really good talking to him. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Navigating Neurodivergence. Sean, you have an amazing story that is terrifying but also i mean you're here to tell it so that that's good too (laughs) but um let's let's go back first thank you for coming on and let's go back to well let's go back to right before everything changed for you what 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 were you doing with your life at that time well the irony is is uh I'd been dealing with the the traumatic brain injury for a decade, you know, and uh, but I didn't realize that it was an, an underlying problem for me that that could cause issues, because I continued to compete in full contact martial arts and things of that nature, which I also I, I'm very athletically active have always been, so I also played uh, played uh, flag football, which here in the Washington DC area is extremely competitive. Mm. I mean, you're playing against, you know, former division one college players and even a couple of former NFL players on a daily basis. So, um, it's very, uh, getting concussed there was pretty common. Um, I played softball all the time and I actually got myself knocked out trying to catch a ball one time. Um, you know, I, I hear, boxers being referred to as having a glass jaw I have a glass head 
is. So years and years and years of doing doing things. But to go to your to answer directly your question, um, I was preparing for a huge presentation that was literally going to change my life at uh, at the company uh, that I was working with. The LCC uh, was a is the largest cellular engineering firm in the world, and I was in charge of uh, the training department for the hardware division. And I was getting ready to do a big presentation for the overall corporation on ways that we could advance our training and, and documentation and all of that. And I'd been working really hard for weeks, and even though I'd been in Brazil for a bit of time doing teaching engineers and stuff, I'd been preparing for this and was super excited about this. I'd been told, hey, you're, you're a future vice president in this company. You just, you know, keep, keep up what you're doing. So I was really excited, and I, that's kind of the last thing I remember. Mm-hmm. Um Apparently, from what they've told me, I didn't show up at the meeting, and they were worried. They sent one of the vice presidents over to my office to find find what what was going on, and they found me in a pool of blood in my office. Wow! For whatever reason, uh, I I because I, I don't really remember anything about most of that week, let alone what happened that day. Um, they found you know found me in a pool of blood, laying on the floor, and. Um, I'd apparently cracked my head on the back of one of those great big 32-inch monitors that I had and then on the corner of the desk as well. And, you know, head injuries bleed a lot. So, yeah. I mean, again, you you wouldn't think maybe that it would be that bad, especially being the injury was not really that, that critical. I mean, obviously I had just fallen, but apparently, according to the doctors, all of the continual injuries over the years, it just added up and... I mean, when I came to, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I could—I was completely paralyzed from the neck down, and uh, I had to recover from that. I mean, it, it completely changed my life. Um, it also completely changed my personality. Yeah, you know, that, I was actually going to ask you that, because some people go through a traumatic brain injury, and it, their brain just kind of rewires, and... and they come out on the other side where they might be like all of a sudden they're quick to anger or they used to be a very like stern person and they become like a very like loving and open person. Like what was right. like the big shift for you at, when you um, started kind of getting your bearings again after, you know, recovery? Well, I definitely was much more emotional than I had been. I had, you know, I, up to that point, I was pretty in control of my emotions. I was very orderly and very, almost OCD. I mean, all everything in my cabinets, you look behind me, you can see I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> I mean, my house had to be pinned neat. Everything was, and all of a sudden, in a matter of, you know, that one incident, I completely changed. I was not that same person anymore. All those things that were so important to me were just not important anymore. I've since learned that, you know, um, that's because the damage was on my uh, left side of my brain and mm-hmm. that's the area that houses those you know those neurological imperatives that that help you to keep order and things in your life and that meant that my right side of my brain was able to move forward and that compassionate loving caring person that was always there but kind of sit set in the background and kind of you know didn't have a, a front seat to everything that was going on suddenly became the dominant personality mm. so in many ways, I became a better person, but in yeah. other ways, especially according to my wife at the time, uh, she she wasn't particularly happy with the fact that I had become this 
by her term, slovenly, uh, didn't care about all neatness and stuff like that kind of person. Um, so, you know, it was, it, unfortunately, the way it affected the people around me was a little interesting. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. I mean, because they only knew you before the injury. So I, I can only imagine, like, that person that you knew, it, it can be a very hard pill to swallow that, hey, it's not that that person's gone. I mean, you're still you. <laughs> it's just that you're... Uh, it's almost like your priorities have, it had shifted and which uh, subconsciously, you know, your brain was just like, listen, we have to make up for the, the loss of the logical functions, the, the task priority, the prioritizations, all the things that, you know, the left side of the brain does. It's like, well, now since you become right brain focused, everything else has to take over. Um, it is, it's quite interesting because I, I remember back in, in grade school, which it might've been middle school. Um, and it was in an art class talking about how, you know, the, you know, the right hand, the right side of the brain controls creativity. I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, and the left hand side, you know, the left side of the brain does all these like logical mathematics and all this stuff. And, you know, you can use both of them, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, but what about people that have, like, a traumatic brain injury? And I, I knew this only coming from a place where my brother growing up had a, tra a traumatic brain injury and he had uh, epilepsy. And parts of his brain just it didn't work. And you could tell, like, oh, the, the way he thinks is completely different. But you just, you learn to work with that. Did people learn to work with this new, new you? I give my ex-wife credit for the fact that she took care of me during mm. that time that I was, but no, she, she wasn't able to adjust. I mean, it was that, and you mentioned the, um, the emotional part. I mean, I was a much more emotional person and she wasn't used to those emotional outbursts either. And, um, I mean, at one point, they actually diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. It was mm -hmm. later disproven, but, I mean, I was desperate to be, get back to who I was, so I embraced anything they gave me. You know, I was like, oh, okay, bipolar disorder. So I went and I, I read the entire book, Manic Depressive Illness, I mean, which is a thick, thick textbook. Yeah. You know, I read the entire thing cover to cover so I could understand what was going on again. That was just my nature to try to understand and... um I read everything I could on bipolar disorder, and the more I, I, I learned about it, the more I was like, something just isn't right here. Yeah. You know, and finally I had a neurologist who was an osteopath working in a neurologist office, and she sat me down and she says, you know, you've been on the wrong path for a while now. They've, they've got you on a whole bunch of medications that are just really messing you up. She was like, you need to get off all those medications. And I was like, you know, got scared because I was like, no, no, they tell me I'll die if I don't have these medications, wow. you know. I mean, that's what the psychiatrists were telling me. Yeah. And because I, I actually did. And see, this is something I also have to admit it probably was really hard on my ex was I, try, I attempted suicide several times. Mm. You know, I mean, I just I couldn't I couldn't understand who I was and what was going on in my life. So. You know, I, I tried overdosing. I tried to hang myself at one point. Um, 
I hope that's not too triggering for anyone out there. But I mean, yeah. it was, mm-hmm. you know, I fortunately I failed. Um, yeah. But I mean, those experiences kind of kind of gave me a lot again because I I was very into a different part of my brain. I I had a lot of empathy for people, so I started running support groups, facilitating support groups and stuff for people that were you know feeling suicidal or had you know mental illnesses and stuff. Um, I went went back to school. I you know to get a master's degree in psychology. That didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. Um, what what happened there? Well, I struggled. I mean, mm. I have I have you know electrical engineering degree and computer science degree. I dual majored because I was so school was so easy for me, and it was not easy for me anymore. It was extremely hard. I was finding myself in conflict with people in ways that I'd never been before and didn't know how to deal with, and I finally dropped out. I, I realized that um, it just, you know, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, there was also an underlying issue of I was very interested in, um, I became very, towards the end of it, when I was getting ready to do my thesis, I became very interested in men's issues because, uh, you know, I'd been th- I, I ended up going through a divorce where she kept my son away from me who I'd been uh, you know uh, I, I the full-time parent for for 14 and a half years and I didn't get to see him for eight months wow it was devastating so I, I became very focused on that and unfortunately um my the people there at the college didn't want to hear that they, they were mm-hmm. like you need to find something else to focus on and so I got in a conflict over them with that so it just you know, there were a number of things going on that just convinced me, including the fact that I, everybody kept telling me, you're going to need to get a doctorate to do what you want to do. And I was <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. So this master's degree is not going to be enough. I then have to go two more years at minimum to get a doctorate. And then I might make $60,000 a year when I was accustomed to making, you know, six figures. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I'm on the wrong path here. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> just a little, uh, uh, you know, indicator that you might be. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, and throughout the whole thing, I admit I struggled. I mean, I it was suddenly things that had been easy for me were very, very difficult. You know, and yeah, you know, I I I think that's something that I've realized over the years because for me, it, completely different scenario for me, I. I had ADHD my entire life. I just didn't know it. I, I was diagnosed at 39. So it was like, for me, it was like the, the kind of light bulb went off. And uh, But I'm I'm like you in that research thing. So my wife and I, you know, it got to the point where I was having problems like, I always had problems regulating my emotions and like dealing with, with like criticisms and and everything like that so i would kind of like fly off the handle or shut down or go through all these outbursts and when i got the diagnosis for me it was like okay let's research and then when we started researching we both dove in on all these books and i was like of course this makes sense now like sure it just made sense of my entire life of struggling so what i what i'm getting at is uh, 
when you uh, find yourself, and I, and I have a feeling it has to do with the people that are more kind of in tune with that right side of their brain, the more like it's free flowing, just they say, oh, it's the creative side. Oh, it's, you know, where all music and art generate from all that. It's not just that there, there's something about it that if you are doing something and it's hard, you're probably not supposed to be doing it. <laughs> That's what I found out. And, and I thought I was like, oh, that can't be it because I used to do a lot of web development. I went to school for graphic design <laughs> and I tried all these things and I, I struggled at it, but I still did it. I forced myself to do it. And, and then I'll never forget when I first got my, my first job as an actual, like doing web development and, graphic design together in one job in a big corporate setting it was 15 years after i got my degree and i realized i hated it yeah <laughs> well you know what's funny is, is um that story resonates with me hugely because you know, i got those degrees because that's what everybody told me i should do mm. and the funny thing is and this is something that that you know we we have to be honest with ourselves about is is that um i think i was probably more right-brained than i knew even back then i think mm -hmm. i was overcompensating and engaging my left left brain way more than was normal for me because i got those degrees i went and worked for magnavox for as a uh, research and development engineer um and i hated it <laughs> I absolutely hated the job. I mean, I designed stuff, and I mean, just sitting, sitting there in a lab or my desk or whichever, you know, whatever I was doing that particular day at a computer or whatever was just not me. I mean, I wanted to be engaging with human beings, mm. so I was always out talking to people in the office, and, you know, chatting up the secretary, or you know, uh, there were a couple of technicians that worked for me that I mentored them. And they ended up becoming engineers. One of them became a computer scientist as a result of my mentorship. But those, that, was, that was far more important to me than actually doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, looking back, but at the time I didn't realize it. I mean, I was completely unaware of it. I mean, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was an engineer, you know. I was writing pro programs. I was doing all the stuff that I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And... You know, eventually, uh, I, I guess maybe sometimes I look at the brain injury like maybe it was destined to happen, you know, to wake me up, to make bring me around, to make me realize that it, this isn't who you are. You know, I mean, you have to embrace who you actually are because yeah. that complete shift was like bringing that side forward and, you know, shutting down literally shutting down that side of my brain that I'd been enforcing myself to follow was um was shocking i mean it, it was it was quite a uh you know yeah. and a, yeah. it was a change yeah but you yeah. know you meant you mentioned the adhd thing it's funny because all three of my sons have been diagnosed adhd and i didn't understand i i could if i had a dime for every time i har harassed them about why can't you focus why can't you <laughs> You know, why can't you stay on task? You know, come on now. Snap a knot in your ass. You know, come on. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to motivate them to stay on task, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll be damned if, the, you know, 
life didn't didn't give me a, a check and now I understand completely what they were going through but yeah. I didn't because I was in denial I mean I think that like you I probably was ADHD to some degree all of my life but again I had managed to force myself to ignore that you yeah. know I, to overcome it to to be you know what people wanted me to be and expected me to be yeah yeah, uh, you know, I, I was the same way all through, you know, because I, I got through high school somehow. I, I, I did a lot of sleeping, but the subjects that did interest me, I did fine in, and that was enough. And uh, back in New York, where I grew up, like, the high school system was a little odd. It treated it kind of like a college system where courses had credits. So I found that out, and I was like, well, I'm going to take every art course I can because I love doing art. So I did everything from, you know, your typical drawing and painting classes, jewelry making, pottery, fashion design. I was like, I'm going to do it all so I can graduate. And it worked. And then I went to a school for graphic design. And this was in 2000. So using computers to do, you know, page layout and, and design layout was, it was um, on the forefront. You're like, if you can learn this you're going to you're going to go far and i was like oh this is going to be great and i did okay in it but i never had that spark you know <laughs> it was just like yeah yeah this is this is what we're supposed to do uh, you know i'm creative i'm going into a creative field little did i know it's like uh, one of the most oversaturated fields especially back then and you know today every every i tell everyone um because nowadays I'm a photographer and that that creative outlet for me is not just a creative outlet, but it's, you know, a way I can make money. But people are just like, how do you deal with, I'm like, listen, everyone's a photographer now. Anyone that has a phone can be a photographer. They don't need, you know, thousands of dollars of lenses and stuff. They can do it with their $1,800 phone. <laughs> but I was like, but here's the thing is like, does it actually spark joy? in your life to take photos it doesn't well it does for me that's how i know that's for me and that's why i pursue that and that's a huge difference of me going through college getting that degree and just kind of meandering through life like uh, i'll never forget the excitement that my wife and i had we weren't married yet but i had found a job working uh in radio it was for at the time clear channel now they're iHeartMedia. And I was excited um, because I was going to be an online content coordinator. I think that was the name of the title. So the websites, they didn't really have like a content management system. They did. It was really bad. I'm like, I don't understand how you guys do anything with websites with this system, but... But there was a lot of coding. I was like, well, I, I learned a ton of that, and I, I used to make a lot of money on the side. I'll do that. And I also had to, to make ads for, for clients to run on the websites. And that's when I f found out that, wow, this is what I went to school for. And I, every day it feels like my soul is leaving my body. <laughs> that's, that was like that moment of, of panic. I was like, I finally got what I wanted, what I was supposed to be doing. And it's, it's not fulfilling in any sense of the word. I mean, I, I would be like, it's fun. Working in radio is fun because you get to meet 
some artists, you get to talk to a lot of people and you know, you get to go to events and concerts for free. That's always cool. But working in the office and doing all that stuff, like I could just feel it like chipping away at me. And I was like, Oh no, this isn't good. Like I, I was waiting for this all my life. Now I have it. Now I know that this isn't it. This is a problem. <laughs> and I always tell people, I was like, I didn't learn what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was, I think I was 35. And then uh, that's when photography came into the picture for me. And I was like, oh, oh, I get it now. I, I, I feel the thing. <laughs> so I, I, I have to ask you, at, you go through all this and you're like, oh, the school thing didn't work out and you're, what direction do you go to find something that starts sparking that interest? Well, um, during the time I was doing support groups, I've got, I got uh, recruited and while I was in school, I got recruited to um, answer the phones for a crisis hotline, the National Crisis Hotline that's now is a 988 number. I, I did that for a while. And um, that sparked a lot of, I mean, I started realizing that I had a, an ability to empathize with people and to be able to talk to them. And the, the thing a lot of people don't realize is when somebody's in crisis and feeling suicidal, they don't even know it, but what they really want is somebody to hear them. Yeah. You know, to feel like they're, 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 they're whole and that they are worth worthy of being in the world and stuff, because most of them have, have decided that the world would be a better place without them. And that's the reason they're they're Now, the fact that they've called a crisis hotline means there's hope because yeah. they've, you know, they've realized that that's a, that's an issue and that they really, um, whether they realize it on the surface, they really want to, to you know, survive and, and keep going. But they've, you know, they've reached a point where they feel like the best thing for them to do would be to, you know, for everybody, usually. I mean, it, it's amazing how many times I've heard people say, well, the world would be a better place without me. Yeah. And that's um, that's a tough, tough, you know, thing. I mean, I know that I remember having that sensation myself, and that's the reason why I... I justified doing what I attempted you know and um, so but feeling like somebody actually hears you is important and, and I found out I had a knack for that mm -hmm. um, so uh, you know I, I mean I've stayed with that I've done you know I, I've shifted into coaching uh, don't have the, the, the uh, sheepskin on the walls to, to be a, a you know a licensed counselor or a psychologist or any of that stuff, so I had to figure out a way that I could I could still do it. Um, so um, it's funny because in the men's groups that I'm involved in, I, I keep hearing people refer to me as a unicorn <laughs> because there there it seems that men we we've done kind of what I did with my career thing we we've decided that we we need to shut our emotions off and we're not allowed to express them and stuff. So, um, we're not allowed to be empathetic. We're not allowed to be all those things. So, yeah. uh, meeting somebody like me seems to be a revelation for a lot of these guys. Yeah. You know, a, a unicorn is a, a good term 
for that because it, it's frustrating that we uh, we out here are you know I, I'm like you I'm not I have no qualms I'm an open book uh, you know I will be emotion but if you met me two years ago I was a very closed book I'd pretend like I was an open book but <laughs> stuff any emotion I had down and far away and and you know I would just I would play the part of yeah I'm I'm a guy this doesn't affect me I'm not I don't have to worry about that um but for for me you know there was a lot of things that happened in just in the last two and a half years of my life where through well therapy uh working with coaches through of and through a lot of just inner journeying and self-work i learned hey it's okay like i have no no qualms about telling people either my life story or when things went wrong like i you know there's there used to be this big scary looming cloud of shame around everything that happened to me now like i can't talk about that because you know shame is like the worst thing so yes as i learn to shed the shame I, it becomes empowering to talk about like being homeless or going through even like marital problems or going through like therapy like when i tell a lot of my guy friends that i went to therapy they just look at me they're like like you talk to like a stranger about i'm like yeah yeah and i cry too <laughs> and, and, and they kind of look at me because i've always had that um i've been the lucky one because normally a lot of people with adhd get bullied growing up I'm giant. I'm, you know, like six foot five, 300 pounds. I look like a football player. So people never bullied me because I've been this way since high school. <laughs> However, that didn't help my internal battle. <laughs> Even though I look sure. at it on the outside, I'm just, you know, the, the soft, emotional teddy bear. And that's what I've been. So when things would challenge that, I, I would have to bring up the, the false persona and hide behind it. But now I don't have to do that. If things get me emotional, I let them get me emotional. It's okay to feel feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's amazing. I, I didn't realize you were, you were as, as big as you are. That's, that's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm six two. I'm most in the best shape of my life. I weigh about two forty five. I'm, I'm, I'm on a weight loss journey right now myself. Uh, I'm, I'm down to about two fifteen, where nice. I've been working at it uh, really hard. I hit sixty in July, and it was like a sudden realization that I hadn't probably taken as good a care of myself as I should have. <laughs> if I wanted to live a decent life, I think Peter Atia. I don't know if you've read any of his books, but he, uh, he said something about. You shouldn't be thinking about how fit you are right now, but how fit you should be in order to live your best life when you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. You know, so because a lot of the stuff I did in my 20s and 30s, like I, I, I was a bodybuilder for a while. I mean, that, you know, one of the most unhealthy lifestyles <laughs> you can possibly have. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yep. but, <laughs> you know, it, it was what seemed like the thing to do at the time. Yeah, you know, um, 
Uh, and like you, being a bigger guy, I mean, but see, in middle school and into high school, I was I was on the smaller side. I was, you know, small and a little on the chubby side, and I got picked on and bullied a lot. Mm. And um, it, part of that was, I mean, my parents didn't know how to deal with me. Yeah, my mother especially. She was she had her own pain issues with with an illness, so she really did not know how to deal with me. And her way of dealing, because my father was a drill sergeant, she I think she felt that it was required that she, you know, be very punitive and very. So it's like in the morning before I could go to school, my room had to be perfectly pinned neat. My bed, you had to be able to bounce a dime off of it. And if it didn't, when I came home from school, everything in my room was on the floor in the middle of the room, and I was going to have to clean it all up again and make it right. Wow, yeah. Um, and then there was, you know, physical punishment. So I was bullied a lot at home, and it just extended into my school life. Um, so, I mean, which is ironic because I, I've been to a couple of reunions over the, over the decades since I graduated high school, and the general consensus seems to be that I was actually kind of popular and everybody liked me. <laughs> And I'm like, what? Why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I can actually relate to that very well. It, it, it always, I look back and like, I, I didn't feel any sort of popular, like I didn't feel like I was part of the popular group. I was an art nerd. I know I made all the, the athletic coaches angry because I was bigger stronger and faster than anyone else on all of the teams and i hated playing sports oh. <laughs> and it, it it frustrated them because even like in gym class they would be like okay we're gonna we're, we're gonna do sprints we're gonna do these things in gym class and i would just be like destroying the people that were on the football team and they're like yeah. Why don't I, you... I held the 50-yard dash record for almost two decades <laughs> in my school, and and being being a big guy, they just couldn't understand that because yep. when I when I entered the match race, everybody else was, you know, five foot tall and well, African American, most of them. I mm -hmm. did not fit in with with that group, and the, like you, the coaches were constantly on me about. <laughs> but ironically, and I didn't realize it at the time, but. I look back at it now and it's very clear. I mean, I was in choir, I was in band, I had all of these these artistic things that were super important to me. All mm -hmm. of my electives in, in high school were taken up in music. Um, I didn't go the art route that you did. Um, it's ironic, my whole family is very artistic. My father was a graphics illustrator. Um, my, everybody could draw, I couldn't draw to save my life. <laughs> You know, I just had no no ability there. I love music though, so that yeah. was my that was my artistic outlet. Yeah, yeah. I um, I know my my I had a leg press record that stood probably almost two decades, and I, we it's an estimated record because the machine we had could only fit so much, and we had three kids on it as well, and it was like. <laughs> just under like 1100 pounds and they're wow. like wow how are you doing this and i was like because you know i'm i don't know i've always had incredible strength and it led me to become like a power lifter in college like that's that was my routine <laughs> yeah. i was like all right well i want to do this and people are like you go to the gym twice a day i 
knew nothing about nutrition, so I, I would just eat like crap. But I would still, you know, I'd put up these numbers and people are like, you are abnormally strong. I'm like, yeah. Like, well, so what sport do you play? I'm like, none. <laughs> They're like, why not? I was like, because I don't want to be, like, when I turn 40, like, unable to walk. And they they look at me and they're like, I never thought of it like that. I'm like, you, yeah, look at any, especially at back, you know, 2000. Oh, yeah. You look at any professional athlete around the age of 40, you know, after they've retired, you know, for five, six years at that point, they'd be walking with a cane or some wheelchair bound. And you're like, yeah, I yeah. mean. Almost every martial artist that I competed with back in the day are cripples now, essentially. Yeah. And I use that term respectfully. Yeah. But, I mean, but, they, they really are struggling, you know, in order to, I mean, they teach, you know. That, that's, yeah. the way, that's the way they stay in it, but they can't perform anymore. And okay. that's, that's really sad. I mean, it's frustrating. I mean, it, it is one of the side effects of, you, you were right, it is one of the side effects of, and again, I think the thing, the, I go back to the Peter Atia thing. It's like, it was what worked for us at the time, mm -hmm. but was it going to lead us to the life that our future self would want to live? Yeah. That's something that we don't focus enough on, I think, in our society is, you know, I mean, and it's something I, I do a lot of my coaching is I, 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 I cast people and I have them say, you know, you know, ask yourself, is doing this going to be something your future self will be happy that you did yeah yeah that that's and that's a big it's a it's a great question to ask people to just to get them to to stop and think um like i know for me like my my transformation it, like my first big transformation was when we were getting married we my wife and i we lost a lot of weight and it was good but like lost a lot of weight and i was I think I was down to like 330 pounds for my wedding. So I had lost like 60 or 70 because I was over 400 pounds. So it was wow. huge. Um, and this year, like everything that I've gone through and uh, I, I've talked extensively about like not just uh, getting on medication, but getting off of all my medication and having a, a spiritual awakening, which didn't know that was going to happen but it did and doing like um plant medicine psychedelic therapy doing all this stuff changing how i look at life and how i approach life you know i got to a point in the middle of this year i was down to around 265 pounds that's like a, the perfect weight for me and i was like this is where i need to be and then what happens is you know, things like my, my, uh, one of my brothers passed away in the end of July, beginning of August. Um, and when that happened, uh, I just kind of, I gave up on the routine that I had going and I put weight back on but I acknowledge that I don't beat myself up and I'm like, Oh, why am I not feeling the same way I was feeling in like June or May or I had more energy and then I step on the scale. I'm like, well, that's probably why <laughs> because I'm carrying around you know, 40 pounds that I wasn't carrying around just you know, six months ago. So I, I look at it as even right now, I, I'm still, I still feel better 
and feel healthier and more clear of mind and clear just body, spirit, just everything. And I'm able to live my life how I need to live it now. Um, instead of being, being in that constant state of fear of what if the, the what ifs could, can kill you. Yes. That's, that's where you get stuck in it. That, um, but you know, I, I talk to a lot of the people that they'll reach out to me from high school that I haven't talked to in, in since high school. I mean, some of them, they'll see me on Facebook and they're like, wow, you, you look different, which yeah, I, I do. I look completely different now. Um, but they're like, it's strange. You don't look like you're in your forties. I'm like, no, I just have gray hair. That's, that's, that's really it. And they're like, yeah, you don't have wrinkles. You, what, what do you do? I was like, I live my true life. Like I'm me. I don't have to hide anything. And you would not believe what kind of wonders that does for your body. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. I, I know I, I, I attend my reunion and I'm always shocked. I mean, you look at the pictures of, of me with the other group and I always look like I'm 20 years younger than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now I've let my hair go white here recently. <laughs> I used to, I used to use like Grecian formula and things like that to to keep the uh, pigment in it and stuff. But I've given up on that. I just decided, you know what, this is, this is who I am. I'm going to yeah. let it, I'm going to let it be. Um, so, I mean, that, well, that's been, that's been nice. You even said, because you, when you said, oh, yeah, I'm 60, you do not look 60. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that was like a, that's like a shock. I'm like, yeah, he, he looks around my age, like around 45-ish. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, usually when, when I ask people, they guess anywhere from 45 to 49, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm always like, yeah, guess what? And I, <laughs> I, you'd be amazed how many people I have to actually show them my driver's license because they won't, they won't, they don't believe me. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's actually a, an interesting correlation, and I, I got to find the, the research paper on it, but there's an interesting cor correlation to all sorts of different neurodivergence to like anti-aging like there's it's a strange thing where like they did like a study of so many people and the people that had like ac uh, ocd and adhd and like dyslexia like all these like multitudes of different types of neurodivergent problems and they're like yeah for some reason they just just as a whole they look younger and it's it's strange and i'm like well I guess I got that going for me. That's that's always good to know. I have that in my back pocket. <laughs> I've been learning a lot about epigenetics lately. I think that that's probably a, a big part of it right there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not quite versed well enough in it to be able to speak too too deeply on it. But, you know, I mean, you know, we're not we're not bound to certain things, and as our life affects us and change, it changes our genetic makeup, and you know. Uh, Things like being neurodivergent, definitely, I mean, I'd say that if I'd have continued on, I hadn't had the TBI, I might look my age. Yeah, Honestly, that's, that, that's what's really strange is, is that, um, you know, I, I completely changed the way I was living my life. You know, I don't, I don't see the world anywhere near like I did before. So, I mean, it just, 
it's a little sad as far as, you know, I mean, it's like I just had a conversation with my ex just this morning because my son was here yesterday and he, I had to get him off. And, the, and, I, and I admit that I, I, I kind of, you know, wish that things hadn't changed the way they did. But as far as that goes, I mean, it was nice to be in a relationship where you felt valued and stuff. And then when it fell apart, it, it kind of, that was devastating. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's taken me, it's been eight years now since, you know, she left. And, and I'm still trying to recover from that. Even when I have a conversation with her, I find that wistful feeling in my heart, you know. And it's like, wow, yeah, no. You, yeah, you, you, that's, <laughs> that, that's a t- and that, that is a tough one. How, how long were you married for? 23 years. Wow. And we'd, yeah. been to get, we'd been together for 25. So at the time, I mean, she'd been in my life most of my life. I mean, I grew up a military brat, so I had to make friends every three years, you know. So having somebody that regular in my life was not something I was accustomed to. Mm, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's, um, you know, because my, my wife and I, we've been friends since high school. Cause she was like, I was and she was the third wheel all the time between our best friends. Because my best friend dated her best friend. <laughs> So we would ever, every time we would go someplace, you know, we would be like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, oh, there's Nina and there's Stefan. And it's just like, we're just hanging out. And we stayed friends for a long time. And like, I left upstate New York. I went to school down in Florida. I just, you know, I did a lot of like bouncing around and, but we always stayed in contact. So she was always in my life. And I, I always feel, I feel the, the, most gratitude for when my diagnosis did happen that she said okay let's figure this out because i know way too many stories where the person's just like i can't handle this 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 is nonsense i'm out of i'm out of here i don't want to deal with this so i i i feel like truly blessed that she stuck with it and you know we we got to a point now where it's I don't have the outbursts because we found our ways to get through and like to, like I, I always say, uh, like internally, I'll always say like, uh, all right, it's time to pump the brakes because if I hear something that might be off, it's only me perceiving that it's off, even though it was just like a simple question like, oh, what did you do today is not the same thing as wow, you didn't do anything today, which my brain instantly turns, what did yes. you do today? <laughs> which I, I love how, how the, uh, the mind does that. Because sometimes I'll have to clarify it too. I'll be like, oh, wait, what did you ask me? She's like, I wasn't, att-, and she'll even say, I wasn't attacking you. That's good. And uh, I mean, because now, yeah, that's, but before it was not installing curiosity has been a a very important role in me doing exactly what you're talking about and and it's good to hear you say that because that's exactly it instead of jumping to that judgment you become curious it's like "Hmm, yeah what did they mean by that rather than oh they're they're yeah you know yeah so i i think installing curiosity is a big 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 thing towards making uh making the adjustment so that's that's great yeah, I, I, I learned that one quick, and I, the launch pad for that for me was uh, uh, Joe Dispenza. Ah. People, people were like, "Oh, like what did you?" 
And for me, it was always the change game because he it was in the uh, the breaking breaking the habit of being yourself. Mm-hmm. And the change game stuck with me. It still stuck st- even on my lock screen. It will literally on the bottom. It just says change because anytime those old patterns do come up, that pops into my head. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, you're getting defensive. Hey, you're shutting down when you should be expressing your emotion. Hey, it's just like change. It's like, okay. Oh, yeah. No. Why? I'm I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to shut it down. Or I'm going to inquire. I'm not just going to make up a story that they're, that they hate me. <laughs> because that, that's what would happen for, you know, for years. And it's, it's learning those little things. Um, and, and to kind of like give, give a, an overview of, uh, the type of relationship that I do have with my wife for our 10 year anniversary this year, uh, most people go, Oh, it's a, you know, it's a pretty good milestone. And where do, where did you plan on going to, you know, cause they, people have heard us talk about Hawaii. She was born in Hawaii. She was a military brat, but she was born in Hawaii. And I was like, yeah, you know, five, six years ago, we were like, I think for a 10 year, we'll go to Hawaii. But since this different path we've both been on, and we've been growing on this path. Uh, for our 10-year anniversary, we went to a seven-day Joe Dispenza <laughs> meditation retreat. Wow. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, you just kind of put it out in the universe and it, it happens. Because it would be like, oh, it would be really cool if he had a, a retreat close to here. And then we got the email that the registration had opened for a seven-day re- advanced retreat in Nashville, which is only five hours away. And I was like, okay, I think that might be a sign. Because <laughs> normally it's like out of country. It's like either in Mexico or, or right. someplace in like southern Florida. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to go down to Florida for this. And I was like, yeah. but if it was like here, that would be cool. And I was like, oh. And then the week it happened was literally the week before our anniversary. So I was like, think that's what we're doing she's like yeah no i think that is what we're doing and it's it's one of those things where i just it's another tool in the arsenal to to combat the the old wiring um and i i wanted to ask you about this because i remember you you said that you had gotten more spiritual after everything so how how did that happen for you like was it just like you woke up and you're like, ah, yes, we are all one. <laughs> like, or was it? <laughs> I think, again, kind of like I said to the other stuff, I mean, I think I already knew all those things, but I was suppressing them. Mm. And having that that part of my brain damaged took away that suppression, and suddenly all of it came, it was, it took front, front and center, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, so I don't think it was more a matter of a complete change. It's just more a matter of I, could, I wasn't able to suppress it anymore, and I was I was oh. able to accept the awareness. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because 33 years ago now, I I went and uh, became a uh, a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming and a master hypnotist. 
and I never used it. <laughs> I mean, hardly ever used it because it didn't make sense to me. I did it because it was something fun to do, and I really enjoyed the, attending a bunch of the different seminars and things like that. It was fun and interesting, but I really didn't, I couldn't figure out how to apply it to my life. You know, it just didn't fit in with the life that I was living. Yeah. yeah uh, at least I didn't think so. Yeah. Now, looking back, I can see where I actually did apply it in some ways surreptitiously in the background to my life. I just didn't know it at the time. But so then when this happened, all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, it'd be really cool if I could learn how to use those damn tools that I spent so much time and effort to, to learn. So I went back and I recertified with a, uh, a trauma aware group. Uh, because again, one of the things I discovered dealing with people's traumas, you know, through the crisis hotline, things like that was, was that we all have, you know, we all perceive trauma in our life. Every single human being I've ever met, you know, I mean, whether it was an actual injury like mine or whether it's just, you know, and I, and I use that term just loosely because I mean, it's, it turns out trauma is all about our perception, not about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So it can be something that one person might look at them and go, that traumatized you? Yeah. And at the same time, yeah, it traumatized them. I mean, it did. And it had the exact same effect as your brain injury did, Yeah. you know, because that's how they perceived it. And that's what's important for you to understand is that, you know, I mean, we all have those traumas that have altered the way we think about ourselves, the world, and our spirituality, all of those things is going on in our head and we have to learn to deal with that judgment and those voices and I use that term loosely because of course yeah. I have dealt with people with schizophrenia and that's a completely different issue but yeah. we, we all have you know we all have those that's that part of our brain that's trying to communicate with us and keep us safe yeah you know it's it's and I've learned to be able to when it tells me something that isn't helpful I'm, I've learned to be able to look at mood to think about it and go Okay, I appreciate you're trying to keep me safe, but that's not going to serve me right here and right now. So, again, that that's that's a bit on the Joe Dispenza route yeah. there. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah, I, I've actually read a couple of his books. Uh, I don't I don't retain stuff as well as I wish I could these days, but uh, I've reread a couple of them twice now, and I'm going to go for a third time here soon. So, hopefully, I can apply more of it to my life. But um, I, I, yeah, I really enjoy God. I mean, I look around this room and there are, there's probably just within my vision, 300 books on self-improvement stuff, <laughs> you know, and I use that term loosely. I mean, I don't know that I need improvement, but I'm always trying to grow and learn. Yeah. You know, um, I, I just, I just continue to want to. And again, that, that, that's another, I think you know, um, what's his name? Huberman. Yeah, Andrew Huberman. One, Andrew Huberman once said on a podcast where he was talking, where he said something that was really profound to me. He said that um, he said that he had he had problems with uh, imposter syndrome, and so immediately, you know, I, I leaned in. You know, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, tell me more." You know, and then he then he said the most one, and I wish I could remember exactly how he said it, but it, essentially, to paraphrase, he said that he became a a knowledge junkie. Mm. And it wasn't until he suddenly realized that the more you learn, the less you know, the, you realize <laughs> that you know. And I and I've been saying that for years, but it didn't hit like it did when he said it. 
He said, yeah. the more you learn, the more you realize you're, you don't know anything. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, I, and immediately I was sitting right here at this desk. And I looked at all the books and all that stuff, and I laughed. And I just, I, I mean, and then I cried mm-hmm. because it was like, it was so freeing to hear one of the most intelligent people I've seen on, on the Internet say, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an imposter because, or at least I, my inner mind is telling me that because there's no way I'll ever learn enough to be, to know everything. Yeah. We uh, can't. It's impossible. No, we can't. We really can't. <laughs> and I, I laugh at, for me, like books, I have a strange relationship with books because with the ADHD, like I, people are just like, oh, you can hyper-focus in reading. I was like, I, I just, reading, it, it doesn't work for me. Like I understand. Re- reading retention has always been my issue. Like it's been a problem, even though. Like in, in third or fourth grade, I was reading at a college level and Me like too. I could, understood it, and but the retention was horrible. However, if you go into my Audible li- library, um, I have hundreds of audiobooks. And here's the fun thing about an audiobook for me is that it sinks in and I can retain the information. I just can't recall the information. Right. Unless there's like somebody talking about it and then the information will just be like, just dump onto, onto that person. Right. But if I, if I go, oh, yeah, I remember that one book that, and then I'll sit there in silence and be like, nope, I don't remember. <laughs> like, I know I've listened to it like four times, but that's what happens. But I I think it, it it's, it's always intriguing, too, is that that thirst for knowledge, like to get more and to learn more either about yourself. Like right now, my my thing is... It's like I have all these, you know, the self-help, self-improvement, all these books. But the one thing I've been going back to, one book I've been going back to, and it's an, I, I mean, the physical book is just as good, I, I heard. But the audio book, Rick Rubin's um, uh, The Creative Act. And it was one of those things that I got on Audible where I was like, well, I, I got, a, you know, I get like 12 or credits a year and I'll pick it up. Because I, I love Rick Rubin. He's a very insightful gentleman. I love the music that he's produced over the last you know, 40 years. It's, he's done amazing things, uh, just in every genre. And he's always, he's always been really, really cool. And uh, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be about him being a music producer and talking about that. And what it was was not that at all. It was, it's a book, of, instead of like... Uh, a process book it's a book on how to be and I was taken aback the first time I listened to it I was like okay every chapter we're going over like a, a, a topic and like I, I'm understanding what he's saying and then when I got done it was only like six and a half hours I got done and then a week went by and I was just like I need to listen to that again because I there's something there that I was not ready to take in but i think i am now and it's been it's been one of those things where like every couple weeks i've been going back to it and i start playing it again because there's there's these little tidbits of information about everything from like just uh 
like waking up and having a, a dream journal next to your, your bed. I was like, yeah, I never thought of doing that. And then I started doing it. And then I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting because these dreams, when I go back and read them, some of them are just weird, but some of them have been ideas that have grown into something else. And then talking about like simple things like how you know, like he'll go outside and just listen to the sound around him and him being present in the moment. I'm like, he's talking about this stuff like it's just like yeah this is what's this is what's happening and i'm like this book is brilliant because and then he sprinkles in a few things here and there about like actual like creative musicians like the thing but it's not like this is this is what we did with the red hot chili peppers back in the 80s we did this no it's like i had a, a singer who had writer's block so I told him to break it down to one or two words a day. If you wanted to write more, great. If not, fine. If he didn't want to write anymore, then just consider it done that he doesn't want to be a, a musician anymore. And I was like, you just told this person that? <laughs> and what happened is like they got out of their block like almost within days. Like just all of a sudden they were flowing with like huge songs and they wrote one of the best albums ever. It's like... And then you keep going back to these little things. You're like, you made six hours of nothing but pure knowledge of different types and insight. Uh, yeah, that's. I was like, this is not was I, what I was expecting. Of all the books I've listened to, of all the different subjects, from things like quantum physics to to <laughs> all like uh, like I have a bunch of like Michio Kaku's books that I love listening to, even though it frightens and scares me some of the, some of the ideas in that and then i have on the other end where it's it's very more free-flowing spiritual books and then here he here the, this man who's been in the zeitgeist for the last 40 years just lays it all out from one end of the spectrum to the other in six hours and i'm like more people need to listen to this book because more people will start understanding that you're making a mountain out of every single tiny ant hill that you come yes. across. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like one of my must reads, and I I always and I laugh because I say read still, even though it's I listen to the audiobook. But um, it's it, funny. The thing that came to my mind while you were sharing that was was that um, I become hyper focused on you know becoming as fit as I possibly can, which is not something that's unusual for me, but. Uh, I had gotten, I mean, I weighed 342 pounds and was just not in very, you know, I was on a bunch of medicine. It wasn't helping matters. I got off all the medicine. I, I started eating better. I started doing exercise. But here recently, I just decided, you know what, I'm 60. Like I said, it was like an epiphany for me. I really want to get in shape. So I've been out uh, every every week. I, I put do three to five miles depending on time constraints. Then I've started, as I lost weight, I started realizing, well, you know, I mean, I'm not carrying as much weight. So I, I started carrying, uh, I've got a weight vest, and I started mm. adding weight in there to keep my weight at the same as it was when I started. That's really smart. <laughs> so I've, stayed, I've gotten more and more fit as I go, and I've started doing high-intensity interval training where I run. But you know what? I've been doing it at parks, national parks and stuff. And it suddenly it dawned on me one day when I was listening to, I forget who at this point, but 
It's like you're not being present. I mean, you're in the mo these beautiful settings, and you're so focused on you. You're missing. You're missing on all this. So I now make a point of a third time a week I go out and I walk just so that I can enjoy the nature in those in those places where I'm going regularly. I go and I just you know I I notice the insects and I notice the smell in the air and and the animal life around me and I look at the trees and I see you know I really pay attention to being there and present. I'll go and I'll sit. And, and sit on the ground in the dirt, you know, and put my hands down into it and ground myself and really feel it. And I think that I'm probably getting as much out of that one day as I do out of the other two days combined. Yeah, you, you <laughs> are. You are. No, that's that 100 percent. At least are. here. Yeah. Oh, physically, that... physically, the other two days are very important to me. Yeah. <laughs> but mentally, <laughs> mentally, I and, and you know what though, I don't think that I'd be as as good at the mental part if i wasn't taking care of my physical health also though because they're both in intrinsically linked mm -hmm. so yeah that 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 well it's a walking meditation it's what being present while you're on your walk and i, yes. and I think was it tick tick non i can't right. remember his name yeah tick tick yeah, yeah yeah um which was another great book that i listened to uh but he Walking meditation is so important for just mental health. And I, I think uh, a lot of people kind of like, um, they overlook it because they've gone through the idea of like, well, if I'm meditating, you know, I'm going to sit down, it's going to be quiet, I'm going to focus on my breath or whatever. There, yeah, no, there's, yeah. There's a, like, that's meditation, that's my go-to. Like every morning I meditate. Me too. And it's one of those things where I'm, my... My the first book I had wrote and uh, written, was, yeah, spoken like a true author, just not <laughs> ma making up words now. Um, <laughs> but it was like the there was mental, physical, and social tools that I put in the book that I used to kind of like navigate my own neurodivergence. It's the whole thing that I that I dreamt up and put out there, but. I started outlining the next book and how important meditation and, and breath work are to me and really diving deep on the importance of, of the different types because I, the whole idea of like the next book, which is a long way out, it's still in the outlining phases, but I have 10 different types of meditation that I, I've used at least once, but some I, you know, use just about every day, some you know, just give or take, you know, I've, I've tried and a couple that I've like looked into, but I'm just like, I, I'm, but, but the whole idea is I'm going to at least do it for a week and kind of like research of how it makes me feel, what it does for, for me overall. But it's so important to have some form of meditation and walking meditations are probably the easiest yes. to get into. Because when you're walking like that and you take your earbuds out and you just listen right? while you're walking, sometimes at first all you're hearing is your footsteps. Like you're hearing the footsteps and like the bouncing of your body. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I hear, I hear birds and rustling of leaves and oh, the cars. And oh, I, I hear a dog barking like a couple blocks over. And, and you're just like, 
oh, this is interesting. And then before you know it, like 30 minutes bleeds by and you just walked, you know, a mile and a half, two miles. And you're like, whoa, where, where was I? I was like, you were there. <laughs> and that was, you were listening and being there. Your legs were just taking you wherever yes. you were going. And it's, you come back and generally on those walks, those are the walks where I get all my ideas because being present in that moment it just kind of like opens up the rest of my head to like th that little antenna that brings all the ideas in. I'm like, all of a sudden uh, I'll get done with the walk and be like, I need to go write this down because <laughs> I, and I'll like pick my phone up and I'll start like dictating to it. I'm like, I have to like whatever, like new business idea or uh, idea for a new, uh, like a, a solo podcast or uh, a new blog post or even for the book. And like, that's when all that stuff comes. It's always on those walks, not the walk where I'm listening to a podcast or a book. <laughs> it's always on the walks where I am there. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause yeah, I, my, my audible library is actually over a thousand books at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, every time I'm walking, at least when I'm doing it for exercise, I'm listening to a book or a podcast of some kind. Something to, to, to keep my brain occupied so that I'm not thinking about how much this hurts or, you know, or my back is aching or my mm -hmm. feet are killing me and my, my shins are starting to give me problems. If I'm, if I'm focusing on that, but then that's why I incorporated that one day because it gives me the opportunity to just go out there and just stroll. I don't have to do it for exercise. I can stroll. I can enjoy things. I can have that walking bed. I don't, I don't bring my earbuds with me. I, I don't, so I'm not even tempted. My phone doesn't go with me. I notice, I notice it looks like you have the same, the same, do you have so, whoop? Whoop. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm a data junkie, so I love it. Yep. <laughs> um, I also have a Fitbit that also feeds me. I track all my entire diet. Everything that I put into my body goes goes into my the app. But when I'm on that walking meditation, my phone doesn't go with me. Nothing goes with me but me. Mm. And I go out and I'll spend however long. Now I know when it's over, I'm going to get feedback from my Whoop and my fit, uh, my Fitbit. So <laughs> that gives me some sense of. <laughs> It's like, oh, I managed to do three and a half miles. Cool. You know, it's like, but I, that's, I'm not focused on that on that stroll. I'm just out there to spend that time and enjoy, enjoy it and to do walking meditation. The one thing I have been, uh, in fact, I, I, I have a search right now where I'm looking at getting a little recorder that I can carry with me instead of using my phone so that I don't have that distraction of the, the phone with me, but just a little uh, digital recorder that I can use. Because like you just said, I have all these ideas, and by the time I get home... They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. It's like, God, I had the most brilliant thoughts while I was out there. I don't remember a freaking thing. Yep. It's like... <laughs> they been there so many times. And of course, that little judgmental voice in my head is going, well, it must not have been as brilliant as you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, all right, I appreciate that, but you go away <laughs> because no, I need to figure out a way to start recording these things so that I can, I can have the opportunity to listen to them and see if they were as brilliant as I thought they were, you know, and see if I can do something with them because, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm leaving behind a lot of stuff that I could probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, what, no, no doubt use. Yeah, I, that that's been a big shift for me with my phone is what, it, and it. it frustrates a lot of people um is i put my phone in do not disturb 
like all day. And they're like, well, why didn't you reply to my text? I, was like, I just, I don't see them. I, because I know what happens when I see all these notifications go off and I start, I pick it up and I'm like, Ditto. and then you know, an hour bleeds by and I'm sitting there on, you know, Instagram One hour? or TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm being very, very, uh, yeah. Underestimating it. Cause yeah. I, I know I put that, put that thing on there where it was tracking, tracking my hours and stuff like that. And I was spending eight, nine hours a day on things that were just completely distracting and not really getting me anywhere. It was, but yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I had no idea that it was doing that. It It's kind of, it's kind of insane that, you know, <sighs> That it's it's the rectangle of doom. I mean, it's it's a black hole of attention, and um, have some good things come out of it. Yeah, but not as much as the 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 nothing that is coming out it comes out of it. I think that's the the biggest problem. That it's it's never it's not all negative, but it's nothing, and that's the problem. It's like, oh, what did you do for the last you know hour and a half? I'd be like, well. Don't know actually. I just <laughs> was. I went to go look something up, and then somebody sent me an Instagram reel, and then I just kept scrolling, and then I forgot what I went to go look for. <laughs> and that's like the story every single time. And so, those, those apps are designed that way. I mean, YouTube does it to me. I mean, I used oh, to yeah. jo- I used to joke, but now I've I've become r- very cognizant of the fact that. You know, I mean, you go to listen to, you know, Huberman, for instance, and it's like six hours later, you're learning about why giraffes have blue tongues. <laughs> and it's like, why? 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 What happened? What happened to the last six hours? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, my God. And what possible use am I going to have for understanding why giraffes have blue tongues for crying out freaking loud? <laughs> but that that algorithm just knows you know, yeah. it, it sees sees what you click on next, and it and it and it makes judgments and says, ah, here's here's what else we're going to present to them. And sure enough, next thing you know, I'm I'm learning about why giraffes have blue tongues. Yeah, that's... and it's like, what in the heck? And yeah, so I think that's one. I don't think just those of us that are neurodivergent no, suffer it, from that. It's, my it's my been, wife. My wife suffers from it too, yeah. and she is definitely she's neurotypical. Like she's so neurotypical. Like I have, how I had my book printed, it drove her crazy because the it was double spaced, and she's like, "Why? Why'd you do this?" I was like, "It's for people who are dyslexic. Uh, it, you can actually retain information better when there's there's double spacing because you can actually focus on the single lines at a time." And she goes, "Wow." I can, I can barely read it, and she can speed read. Yes, she says with it double spaced like that, I can't read it as fast, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> so I, I, you know, she opens it up on Kindle and looks at it with it like all tightly packed, and she's like, "Oh, I can read this." I'm like, I'd be trying to read that one page for for an hour to just to try to get through that because. There's too much on the page, and I can't focus on it. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I, most of my life I wouldn't have understood what you just said because I was like her most of my life, and then now I'm just like that. I, I, it's, I think that's I, 
the fact that I'm able to straddle both sides of it gives me a little bit of a unique perspective to most people because I didn't understand. I mean, I was a speed reader. I definitely would. Now I struggle. I mean, I have all these books in print, but I use them more for reference. I, I have the audiobook versions of them also that I listen to. And then when I need just one specific passage or something like that, I pull the book off the shelf and I, I go to that page and, and I'll, I'll read just that one little passage because I cannot consume an entire book anymore. Yeah, I just can't. It's too much information. I, I I get overwhelmed really quickly when I'm trying to read those words. It just it just, which again, that little judgmental voice in my head's going, just try harder. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that phrase right there is probably <sighs> one of the biggest curses we can deal with, and it's certainly one of my biggest curses. I've always got that voice going, just try harder. Yeah, the 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 try harder voice. <laughs> The three things that I heard the most were, you're just lazy, which always frustrated me. Yes. Because I was like, I'm working twice as hard as everyone, but I'm not getting as much done. And sometimes 10 times as hard because I'd be doing a million things in my head and not getting, you know, anywhere. Uh, try harder. Like that used to be like all my, all my report cards. If he just tried harder. Yes. And me then, too. Yeah. My, Does not live up to expectations. Yeah. And then I, I remember the... My biggest this this is my biggest pet peeve because it followed me well into my adult you know life even and once I was diagnosed I, I kind of went oh okay well now I'm just gonna like get really angry with them and it's people would say oh you're doing it wrong when I would figure out a way to do something and get the right answer or get to the right conclusion that worked for me. And then be told I did it wrong would that would be like that that would be the most triggering thing for me because of like, but I did it, I did it right. It's like I did it for me, I got the same answer you got, whether it was a problem, a logical problem, or this or that, no matter what it was, I found my way to do it, and it worked, and it worked well for me, and you're telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's the, my biggest pet peeve. Yeah, when I took the ASVABs, I scored so highly, everybody was like, what the hell? So they made me take another test for the nuclear physics program in the Navy, and I I blew it away. And But then they asked me, you know, so what, what level of math are you taking in high school right now? And I was like, I was, you know, I was in math analysis, but I'd never had calculus. And I answered a whole bunch of questions that were calculus level questions. And they were like, how did you do that? And I picked up this pile of paper where I had written stuff. I mean, I just like crazy. And I'd come to the right. And they're like, that's not the way you do it. <laughs> and I'm like, well. did I get the right answer or didn't I? <laughs> And they were like, well, yeah, you did, but that's not the way you do it. And I was just like, well, okay, that's not the way you do it. Yeah. I got there, and, uh, you know, but it, that always haunted me because, yeah, it was like they – and I didn't end up going into the nuclear physics program out of fear because they, they put the, instilled that fear in me that, well, maybe I, I have this weird way of doing things, and that's just not going to be accepted. Yeah. You know, so I didn't end up doing that. But, you know, it was, yeah, I, I yeah. definitely resonate with that. <laughs> I mean, we, we we have these moments where it's like people tell us one thing and, and it's like, but, but, but I accomplished it, didn't I? Yeah. I mean, as I've been doing my personal work, I, one of the things that keeps coming back to me is, is that 
at one point my mother I won I, I had uh, I was a Boy Scout and I won all these awards and was Cub Scout of the Year and runner up for Weeblo of the Year and I was in the running for Boy Scout of the Year and and she looked at me one day and she says you know you wouldn't have any of those awards if I hadn't pushed you <laughs> and that has haunted me my entire life yeah. until I finally did some work and realized that that was something that was devastating to me because I was constantly feeling like yeah you suck. Yeah. The only reason you get anything done is because other people push you to do it. You know, and it's like, wow, that's that's such a powerful narrative that we create in our own heads that, that can cripple us. Yeah, I, I work through that myself. Um, it's a story I've told on the podcast before, but in fourth grade, of people equate fourth grade. It's just like, oh, you're learning, but it was an advanced class, so... We were doing high school type learning in what what had happened in the classes. Obviously, I had no idea about you know ADHD. I had no idea about anything, and it was you know the, the it was the late eighties. No one really knew about ADHD. Like they didn't. It wasn't a huge thing. If you had ADD back then, it was like oh he's bouncing off the walls and, and crazy, and we need to medicate him. That wasn't me. Um, so what would happen in that class is there'd be a lot of really advanced, like logic work and we would have like fun things that we would do. And I could follow these logic problems like on the fly and get an answer. So what would happen is like, it was a really long logic problem. The teacher was talking it out, going through it. And as soon as she got done, I raised my hand and gave the answer. And she was like, yeah, that's correct, but how how did you... I mean, I literally just finished, and everyone was like sitting there still scribbling out all the, the details of it. And I was like, well, I, I... And I was just like, she goes, that's the right answer, but how did you get the answer? And I couldn't articulate it. Yes. Because I was in fourth grade. How could I articulate like that my brain was following along and keeping tabs on everything that you're talking about and the things that work together. And this was like the red herring of the equation and, and going through and she like, you didn't write anything down. And I just, and she kept asking me like, well, explain it to, to everyone. And I'm like, I, I can't. And she said a, a group of words that totally destroyed me for the rest of my school career. What are you stupid? You want to talk about a trauma that stayed with me for until my late 30s, early 40s? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't until last year that I, I finally worked through that one. I finally, like, f first of all, I finally forgave her. Um, Good. Because she didn't know. I mean, and then second, it's just like, oh, I let that phrase create such shame around everything that I couldn't do or explain in my yes. life. That And that was a lot because I had problems articulating things. Like I couldn't, it's like, and everyone would, would go, but you know, you wrote a book this year. I'm like, yeah, I did. It's like, you have a podcast where you talk. I'm like, yes, I know. But you have to understand, I could talk about things, but I couldn't talk about me. I could talk about other things. And there's like, 
but I don't get it. I was like, yeah, because there's no emotion attached to the other things. When I had to actually have emotion and talk to something about something that was I was actually connected to, I wouldn't be able to. But working through the trauma of that was, it was, um, it took such a load off of my chest and my shoulders and my head and my heart. Like all of a sudden I was like, oh crap. It's like, holy crap. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not stupid. I'm like, why did I let that dictate my life? And I was like, and it, it made me laugh. <laughs> like at that point. And I remember my one coach, she even said it. She's like, yeah, we're at the point where we, we can laugh about it now. And she's like, that's really powerful because it's not, you're not shutting down. You're not hiding. You're not like getting upset about it. You're, you're actually laughing and looking at how silly it is that it got you to a place where you were so wound up in those few little words your entire life that you were like, you just let them go finally. And now you can live your life like and live your true life and be you. I was like, holy crap, it feels good. <laughs> Guess. Yeah, that's, it, it's, um, it's always, um, it's, it's always interesting when you look back on those little, and they are, they are, insignificant little tiny moments in life that have the biggest impact. Yeah. If she could have said four different words, if she said, maybe write it down, I would have been able to do that. I would have been able to take the piece of paper out and write out exactly what my brain would did. But the fact that she said, what are you stupid? Changed the, my entire course of my, my life. Like I gave up on school at that point. I was like, yeah, I'll get it basically do enough to pass so I can get through it. <laughs> I actually had almost the reverse experience at one point. I, uh, had a algebra teacher that he was not very good at his job. And, uh, I actually failed. It was the only class I ever failed in my life. And he looked at me at the end of when I went to him and I said what could I have done better he says you just math isn't your thing you just need to give up on math <laughs> and I guess there's an oppositional adversarial part, side of me that just went screw you <laughs> you know it's like to hell with that I got straight A's in, al in geometry the next year and from that day forward math became my thing <laughs> Yeah, that see, and that that's that's what can happen. That's what's I amazing. Was, but the irony is, is it it was my thing only because I was pissed and angry. That, that <laughs> it's, it wasn't because it was my true passion or something I really wanted to do. But I it became my thing, and it and it carried me through college. I mean, I got degrees in some of the math and most math intensive subjects you can possibly take. But that wasn't where I really wanted to go. Yeah. So sometimes, like you just said, I mean, those insignificant things that people say to us can drive us in directions that might seem positive, which it did at the time. I mean, I know everybody around me was so impressed. It's like, wow, look at him, you know, look at him go, you know. You're just but, doing it out of spite at that point. But I, yeah, essentially it's exactly. But you know what? Spike can be a powerful motivator. You know, yeah. these, these, these 
parents that I, I talk to uh, frequently because, again, that's been one of my recent passions is talking to people going through custody issues, uh, you know, where they're being shut out by the other parent. They're not getting to parent their children because they're now no longer married to them and things like that. And they're, they're feeling all sorts of feelings around it. It's like, um, hey, you know, they, they express feelings of spite. And I'm like, so grab onto that. You know, don't let them dictate to you how things are going to go. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 I mean, we have it for a reason. It's a motivator. Now mm-hmm. you can either use it positively or negatively, you know I mean? So I, I always work with them and say, Hey, let's find a positive tilt to that. You know, in, instead of getting angry and, and drinking, uh, one of my favorite phrases is, you know, don't drink the poison because it's not going to hurt them. It's going to hurt only you. So, yeah. you know, let's, let's find a positive way to, to do this. You know I mean? We can recognize that there's a lot of negativity going on here, but you can find positive ways to, 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 direct your actions and uh so yeah (sighs) yeah if that that brings me to a you know kind of like before we wrap up here i I always ask people this is with everything that you've accumulated and and gotten through and, and worked through and where you are now where do you see taking all this knowledge that you have amassed and this newfound passion, like where do you see yourself going and building from here? Well, I've just recently, as I mentioned, joined a group uh, called Kids Deserve Dads. Um, and I intend to, I'm, I'm already laying out and outlining some courses where I'm going to help help fathers who, you know, are not getting the opportunity to be in their children's lives like they'd like to be and, and help them refocus their their lives you know to say hey look you know i mean are you taking care of yourself you know um are you drinking alcohol to compensate are you doing you know helping them to realize what they're doing to cope with that and find healthier ways to cope um we've got a couple of men's groups that we've started and uh you know again that's one thing that men don't do enough of is talk to each other like you and I are doing right now Um, you know we tend to think well I've got to fix this myself and it's true that nobody else can fix us we have we do have to do it but getting having conversations like we're having really really helps and if you just internalize and only talk to the with the the voices in your head you're not going to get very far no not not in a healthy direction anyway (laughs) no not at all I mean, and there's a lot of good neurological reasons behind that. I mean, I tell people all the time, write it down. You know, whatever it is that you're struggling with, write it down. Because that forces you to interpret those thoughts in your head into a language that other people, even if you don't talk to somebody else, at least just write it down. Because you still have to interpret it into a language that's understandable to everybody when you do that. And it's 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 not quite as good as talking to somebody else, but it's it's on that same level it gives you that opportunity to put stuff into a language that isn't that that shorthand that we use inside of our heads yeah yeah that's i i'm a big advocate of of physically and that's a big thing too is i I tell people to physically write things down Mm -hmm. Um, there's one thing about you know when i type out notes in in a google doc but I have a ton of little notepads all over my office and upstairs. Yeah, a bunch of them. <laughs> Got them yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, I I have them. They're 
they're everywhere. You can get tons of them on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> that's I buy them by the the case, and um, basically, when you have that thought, or especially if something is in there, or that if it's a negative thought, even positive thoughts or ideas, when you write them down, you're actually creating. Uh, it's like a neurological connection to whatever you're writing, so you can actually understand it and interpret it and use it positively at that point because you, sometimes you'll write it down you look at it you're like boy that was very silly that that was what was stopping me because on paper now that i look at it is that's that's just, it's nothing so you lose a little voice in my head that's trying to make me not do the thing that i'm supposed to do <laughs> yeah if i had a dime for every time i've read something and I, i'm like Okay, that's my handwriting. <laughs> what the heck? It's like I can't believe that that came out of me. You know, sometimes it's it's incredibly um, intelligent, and other times it's like, that's really what you were thinking? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, ooh, okay, so, yeah, yeah. I, and for that reason, I don't always spend a lot of time reading my own writing because it's, <laughs> I, I, I get those moments where it's just like, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I'm there with you. I am there with you on that. Uh, but before we go, Sean, okay. is where where can people find you online? People find you online. My pugs just went running to the door. Uh, where can they find you online and uh, uh, get in contact with you? Well, they can follow me on Facebook at Sean L. Pearson. Um, I've transferred my account into one of those creator accounts and everything, so you can follow me on there. Um, awesome. I'm also, like I said, I'm going to be uh, working with uh, uh, kidsdeservedads.org. Um, we're, we're fleshing out programs. We're, we're not just going to be doing online stuff which of course is something the pandemic brought us a positive thing but we're also doing in-person groups across the country and we're going to grow it um this is something that i wanted to do myself but i realized i didn't have the organizational skills to pull it off so i decided i needed a team with somebody that could so um that that's and you know we're still in the infancy stages i mean we're just getting it off the ground and getting things going but we've got big plans and we we're gathering other people into the end of the what we're doing so uh, i think uh i think i'm in with the right group of people at this point that's amazing and, and sean i'll have all the links in in the description of the episode as well okay. uh and I, I thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation today thank you for it, having it, me it was a great conversation too it, was, it always feels good to find uh, no matter the circumstances of you know the neurological issues i always find it amazing when i find another guy out there that i can talk to that understands what's going on so i really appreciate it uh and until next time everyone uh just remember you are not alone out there we're all out here getting through it indeed